<clears throat> wow. Uh, well, got a lot of gray-headed guys here, bald-headed guys, young guys. Uh, looks like we're all over the map, and uh, I want you to know it's a, it's a privilege to uh, share this time with you. Doug, do you need this? No, I'm letting you record you. Oh, okay. Uh, you know I'm an FBI agent. I <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I hope our time will, uh, will be meaningful to us today. I, uh, I'm not a professional. I'm just a follower of Jesus. I, uh, Doug and I used to talk a lot about, well, the only seminary people said, well, John, what seminary have uh, you been to? I said, I've been to street seminary. They said, street seminary? Where's that? I said, it's out there in the marketplace, flushing out Jesus uh, on a regular basis. And as I uh, think uh, any time that uh, we have a group like this uh, together, uh, I, I, I think our premise needs to be, and I think all of you understand this, there's not a person in this room who's got it all together. Uh, we're all in process. No one ever arrives this side of the throne of uh, grace that Jesus is sitting on. Uh, but we desperately need one another to fight the fight that God has called us to. Everybody in this room, <clears throat> you got a bit part. You don't have a great part. You got a bit part. And uh, you play your bit part. I play my bit part. We play our bit part together. And Jesus steps in and plays his great part. And the conquering march of Jesus Christ continues to advance against the kingdom of darkness. We know the last chapter, even though it gets a little bleak at times, looking around at our culture, the gospel is exploding globally, but it's retreating in America. And it's happening on our watch. And I think uh, a lot of that has to do with... Uh, the fact that uh, even people like you and I, uh, there's an epidemic of silence of telling people about my identity in the person of Christ. So uh, I'm just going to share uh, today in regards to some things I've learned in Scripture. And, uh, you know, Doug has asked me to share a little bit just my story uh, here. Uh, my story involves uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, like most of our stories uh, do. But my background is that uh, I grew up in a home, and it was a Methodist home, and so there was a sense of uh, believing in God. Uh, we went to a Methodist church. I don't think I ever heard the gospel uh, in this uh, particular church. I uh, grew up in a little East Texas town. Uh, my dad was a coach, and both of my parents were uh, teachers. My, uh, my dad was a coach and a teacher, and my mom taught in the elementary uh, school. So, uh, you know, kind of the path that I was supposed to walk was kind of laid out there for me, uh, especially uh, with my dad's uh, being in the uh, coaching arena. And so, 
I, uh, he began to push me into athletics. Uh, he was a football coach uh, primarily. And uh, uh, probably my senior year is when for the first time I heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Somebody would say, well, do you believe in God? Well, sure, I believe in God. Well, you believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I found over the years, uh, men, that probably 80% of the men just on a, on, on a uh, rubbing shoulders, doing life basis a year, about 80% of the guys that I see come to know Christ are guys that are involved uh, in churches. They're going to churches. Some of them are good churches. A guy, I saw a guy not long ago uh, trust Christ over the aerobic center where I try to show up uh, on a daily basis and uh, got in a conversation and uh, he goes to a good church, goes to a Bible-believing church. Uh, and I asked him, I, I, I said, uh, do you ever feel like that uh, you know all about Jesus but really don't have a relationship with him? He said, absolutely. Uh, I said, do you have any confidence that uh, Jesus Christ lives in your life? He says, no, not really. Now, this was a guy in uh, probably one of the best churches in Dallas. Uh, <clears throat> the way he got kind of exposed, I guess he went back and told his wife, that uh, he had this conversation with me. So about a month later, uh, he gets broadsided with the fact that uh, his wife finds out that he's having an affair. And he uh, catches gonorrhea and gives gonorrhea to his wife. So you can see how the dominoes begin to fall in that particular situation. Wife, godly woman, goodness gracious. And she insisted on one thing, that we get together. And long story to the point, we got together, uh, Bill trusted Christ. Uh, if I saw him today, I said, Bill, where's Jesus? He said, he's in my life. Uh, so God is uh, in the business of wherever you might be in your journey. Uh, what Jesus offered, God isn't mad at you, but he desperately wants you to go to the next level. He desperately wants you to understand that uh, what bit part we've given to Jesus. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that he wants to bring to the table. And I'm telling you, if you want to be leveraged by the God of all grace, Somewhere along the line, you got to put all the chips on the table. And this is a process. We're all in different places, uh, as I said, in this particular walk. Every year, uh, January 1, I sit down and I get a piece of paper, and I say, I, John Maisel, unconditionally surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then I leave a blank page and I sign John Maisel, 2019. And I lay it before the Lord and I say, Lord, you fill in the blanks for this year. <clears throat> and I hope that you'll see a little of the magnificence and the glory 
of wherever you are in your walk today has been nothing more than preparation for what God wants to do in and through you in the future. If you offer a piece of paper that is blank and simply say, Lord Jesus, you fill in the blanks of how you wish to use me in my life. I uh, became a Christian <clears throat> my senior year, even though I was raised in the church and involved uh, actively as a youth in the church. But right before I went off to college, I, I really, uh, really understood the gospel. And so it's always been a big thing to me when people, a lot of times, when I say, well, uh, what do you think about Jesus Christ? Who do you think he was? He said, oh, I believe he was, he was son of God. He was this and that. And if somebody asked me those questions, I'd say, oh, yeah, he was God. Yeah, he died on the cross. He rose again. But my frame of reference would have been in the context that, oh, uh, yeah, Alexander the Great conquered the world before, uh, you know, he was 30 years old. Oh, yeah, uh, Julius Caesar fought the Gallic Wars. Or history. Yeah, you hear the facts and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I accept those facts and so forth. But I had never bowed the knee of my heart. Say, yes, Lord Jesus. I take you personally as my Savior. And I hand you the keys to my life. And da-da-da-da. When I did that, my life changed. I uh, was struggling a little bit about what college to go to. I, had, I was a quarterback in uh, high school and I uh, <clears throat> uh, had a pretty good arm. I, I, I led the conference and... Uh, and uh, receptions that either our guys called them or their guys called them. <laughs> but I had very few of my balls ever hit the ground. I always hit somebody in regards to that. But I, uh, both my parents went to TCU and I had an offer from TCU. But the year I'd have been a freshman, they had a guy by the name of Sonny Gibbs, which was about 6'6", and he could throw a football flat-footed about 60 yards in the air. And I knew I'd never play if I, you know, went to TCU. So I ended up going to Oklahoma State uh, OSU. It was at that time it was going from Oklahoma A&M to uh, Oklahoma State uh, in that process. <clears throat> Played there for, uh, you know, the uh, three years of eligibility I had. Freshmen couldn't play uh, at that time when, when uh, I went. And back in those days, it, it's not like today. I mean, us, us old guys can remember. We went both ways. Even though I was a quarterback, I played defensive back, and I was a better defensive back than I was a quarterback, uh, really. So I'd sign with the Houston Oilers. They're the Tennessee Titans now, if you'll remember. It was a defensive back. Uh, but uh, that was probably in my walk with the Lord kind of the low low point of my life. Uh, on campus, uh, I had been very, very proactive getting FCA going with our, uh, on our football team. I was, you know, word got out and I was speaking at sororities and fraternities about how to have a relationship with Christ and, and so forth. But man, when I went from college to the pro ranks and what happens with, oops, uh, with that type of mentality, thank you, with a bunch of pro guys. It was, 
it was a whole different world. I was not ready for it. I got slammed. Uh, and that was really uh, the low point in my life as far as moving from uh, a low, all-out relationship with Jesus <coughs> to uh, living on ego biscuits, uh, as I call them. And uh, thankfully, I got cut eventually. The best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, it was a God deal all the way. And there's nothing more miserable than a Christian who's out of fellowship with the Lord. Uh, if you know Jesus, and you know there are some dangling issues in your life, and you don't want to deal with those issues and bring them to him, uh, get washed in his blood afresh and new, uh, as his son... The Lord, because he loves you, let me tell you what's going to happen is the scripture says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So God's not mad if any of us in this room are out of sync uh, in our Christian walk. Uh, he's grieved. But once I become a son, that son is eternal if Jesus has taken up residence within me. And I sit here at the end of my journey. And many of you, uh, I see a lot of gray hairs out there, a lot of young guys here uh, with you guys. Uh, go with Jesus. We're guys that are at the end of our life, and I'm a living testimony of the grace of the living God. Uh, people say, Mesa, why do you speak so much on grace? I say, guys, it's really simple. No grace, no mazel. I got that one down real good. So I come back and uh, ultimately I, I, I get cut, go back to school. I had married uh, in college. We had a coach that was really big into the, into the issue of uh, married guys on the team. I mean, you, you just kind of, you thought we were a little more stable if we were married. And, number of guys on our team got uh, married, and of course, I, I, at 20 years old, I couldn't even sign the marriage license. It ought to be a law against a man getting married at 20 years old, as immature as we were. But we got married. 58 years later, I'm still chasing her around the house. Uh, and that's another aspect of God's grace. We couldn't be more different than we are, and how... God brought it into my life and taken us through the good, the bad, the ugly. But we said, non-negotiable, we're going to stay in this lane. God's got a purpose for us in regards to it. When I graduated, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, uh, being Oklahoma A&M before it went to Oklahoma State, uh, you were required to go into the military. Like Texas is Texas A&M, is, is that a cult or something? Or, uh, <laughs> I'm not familiar, but, uh, but uh, you know, you were required. And although I uh, stepped out of the ROTC program that they had and joined the Marine Corps, Marine Corps had a deal where you went to a couple of basic schools in the summer, and then when you graduate, you were commissioned and went off and uh, went to the Marine Corps. And so when I graduated, uh, I head off to officer school and immediately, which was six months after officer school, Vietnam is breaking out. And my wife and I were separated almost two years. 
Uh, I was in and out. I had a recon team operating off of a submarine, and then Vietnam as boots on the ground, and and uh, in Vietnam, and that was really a radically transformation of taking me deeper in my relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're a Marine officer with a Marine with a recon team on a submerged submarine, there's not a lot for you to do during the day. <laughs> and so I just lay in my bunk and just read the scriptures and read the Bible. Get up, go down to the officer where we get something to drink or something like that and sit around and said, hey, you guys know what the Bible uh, talks about and get these uh, discussions going and so forth. And so I'm writing back as God's doing all these things in my life, Jesus this, Jesus that. Now I'm boots on the ground in Vietnam. And how Jesus has changed my life. And my wife is writing back, I don't know who you are. You're not the guy I married. Uh, what's happened to you, et cetera, et cetera. And so God is incredibly creative. Uh, in leading us and guiding us, uh, especially when you're a dumb sheep like I was at that particular time. And Vietnam was very, very catalytic for me. My time in Vietnam was uh, just a sense of walking in the presence of Christ. I remember I'd be uh, in firefights, and I'd be running, and I'd be laughing, Say, Lord, do I come home today? Is this it? Do I catch a bullet? Is this is such and such? That's, that was just the framework. The presence of Christ was so real to me. And I'm writing home to my wife about this Jesus, you know, that has radically impacted my life. And you go, whoa, you know, what, what, what's happening to this guy? There were a couple of events that really happened in Nam that I, I, I think are worth maybe drawing a little bit to your attention. Goodness gracious, okay. Uh, one of them was on my first operation when I was in Vietnam. Here I am, young lieutenant, first firefight, come in on choppers. Some of you guys know exactly what I was talking about. And all keyed up, and all of a sudden, some of my uh, men, uh, they bring me a Viet Cong. And in the heat of the moment, I take this Viet Cong. He wasn't as big as this. <laughs> uh, I take this Viet Cong, you know, I'm okay, and I slam him to the ground. I mean, the Spirit of God, whomp! And I, I was like that. I just, I couldn't move. Clear as a bell, the scripture comes to my mind. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. I remember looking at him, and as that verse came, I said, he's just trying to kill me, Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Clear as the day, God said to me, John, all people are precious to me. It was a defining moment in my life related to people that still 
today. I don't know, all the activities that are represented here, the people around you are gonna live eternally. And you've been put with those people and engaged in those people that you've got the chief treasure of the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ within you. And as I said, the church today, there's an epidemic of silence in going public. To show you the passion of the gospel, I think, and the effect on men's lives, I had a story in which we were uh, coming in by choppers again, and I had the point platoon, and I was trying to put together a tactic or something, and and so the uh, that night before I was out on the aircraft carrier before we were coming in, and I bumped into this Marine that was standing guard duty, and it was pitch black. You know, you had a blackout for those of you that were there or during that time, and uh, you couldn't see your hand in front of you. And I started talking to this Marine on guard duty about, hey, anybody ever talk to you about Jesus? Uh, no, sir. Being an officer, you know, they, they had to stand there and listen uh, <laughs> to us, and, and uh, I, I leveraged that good. Uh, he said, no, sir. And I said, well, let me tell you what Jesus uh, has done for you. Basically, uh, you know, went through the gospel uh, with him and didn't have anything to give him, just, you know, went through the gospel, such and such. And I said, you know, you need to chew on that. You need to think about uh, uh, what you're going to do uh, in your relationship uh, with God. And so, uh, you know, here we are. And uh, the next day we're on this operation. We come in. And we come into this point, and uh, choppers let us off. Well, where they landed had been booby trapped. There were booby traps everywhere. And so I'm telling my men, I said, men, be careful. The, the, the hill is booby trapped here. And so we start off, we spread out, and I said, you know, be looking for the booby traps and such. And the long story to the point, uh, one of the Marines steps on it. And when he steps on it, the ambush comes in, you know. Uh, we knock out the ambush. I'm closest to the guy who uh, stepped on the booby trap, blew both his legs off. I crawl over on top of him, and I start praying. I don't remember whether it was the Lord's Prayer or the 23rd Psalm, but I, I, I start saying, and he cries out, Lieutenant, I'm the one that you talked to about Jesus last night. And I'm sitting here, you know, I, I just, I, I get a chopper, get him on the chopper, uh, send him off. Never knew what happened to him. Did he live? Did he die? Whatever happened. So it's eight years later, I am uh, over the aerobic center. I'm getting a massage. And the guy uh, gave me the massage. Golly, where'd you get that scar on your leg? I said, ah, I got shot in Vietnam. He said, oh, really? I said, yeah. You know. And he said, I had a friend that really got messed up in Vietnam. I said, oh, really? I said, well, what service was he in? Yeah, he's in the Marine Corps. Yeah. I said, oh, 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 really? I said, when was he there? 
uh, you know, 63, 64. I, I said, oh, really? Uh, I said, uh, what happened to him? He said, well, he had both his legs blown off. I said, oh, really? I said, what was his name? He said, Jim Huspus. I raised up off of that. I said, Jim Husband. I said, let me tell you the story of Jim Husband. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, this is a God deal. This is a God deal. I said, you got to give me this guy's name. I said, I know this guy. I was with the guy when he had his legs blown off. He said, God, you know, it's been, you know, three or four years since I've seen him. I don't know about I said, you got to. You got to get his information for me. Long story of the point, God puts that together. And uh, I get his phone number and I call him. <clears throat> and I uh, said, I think I've got the right Jim Husband. But let me tell you the story. And I went through the story about like I just did with you. And when I come to the point of saying, I crawled over him. And I started praying uh, the Lord's Prayer. He said, no, sir. Shut up. <laughs> I still can't tell the story. He said, no, sir. It was the 23rd Psalm. I'm saying, this is a God deal. We get to talking and so forth. I said, uh, Jim, I'm going to send you uh, a little booklet that talks about Jesus Christ, et cetera, et cetera, long story point. I think it was it's Jesus God that uh, Doug is going to give you a copy of. And uh, I sent it to him. A week later, I, 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 I call him back, and we're, we're, we're talking, and, and I said, Did you get the booklet? And I said, well, do you think you'd like to make that decision to invite Christ in your life as your personal savior. He said, sir, I did it when I got the book. The point of that, God's pursuing men through broken men like us. If you just get the antennas up. God's got one passion. How am I doing? On I, I've gone over, haven't I? No, you're good. Goodness gracious. The hook's coming out. Huh? I said the hook's coming out, but you're good. <laughs> oh, okay, oh, okay. Just, you know, give me this when, uh, when you're ready for it. I, I know it'll take me behind. But my point is the living God is passionate about getting the message of the redeeming one love of his son to the ears of everybody in your network. And he wants to leverage you and he wants to use you just where you are. Your calling, when I got out of, when I, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I was struggling, okay, do I go to seminary? Uh, do I go with the ministry? Do I go with the such and such? Uh, I went, went down to seminary, I, I, I talked to different ministers, and, and, and you know what? God just led me, he said, Maisel, I want you to go into the marketplace. You're going to be on mission when you're in the marketplace. 
And if I have a particular passion, it's about to communicate to men like you that your calling to the marketplace is high and holy. You will rub shoulders with people that the guy in the pulpit never will come across. And everybody in this room that has been captured by Jesus Christ, you are on mission. And when God led me into the marketplace, there were very, I was in the investment business. There were very few of my clients that somewhere in the process, we didn't get around to who do you think Jesus Christ was, Joe? Has anyone ever explained to you? Do you have any religious background? I'm telling you, they're everywhere out there in the marketplace. And they've got many people, buddies of your churchgoers, they've got the intellectual understanding, oh yeah, Jesus. But they have never said yes personally to Jesus. And God's got you involved with them for that particular process. When I, uh, uh, when the Iron Curtain was up, I got involved with a uh, friend of mine back in the early 80s of uh, working underground, of taking the gospel to uh, Iron Curtain countries. Uh, it, you know, it was a real deal. It was a real deal where, you know, you'd go in and you'd walk on the street in uh, Bucharest, Romania, and you'd have a postcard in your hand on a particular street corner and you would see a guy that walks by you and he's got a card in his other if it, mine was to be in the right hand his would be in the left I mean making the contact and then you see it and you nod and then you stay about 20 feet behind him and you follow him and you go around a corner a car pulls up a door swings open and you run and you jump in I mean that was a game that that we were playing during those that period of time and then the car would drive a couple of hours out in the middle of nowhere and get there at nighttime and you'd walk into this dark dark area and they'd have curtains all over the windows and they'd flip the lights on when I came in and there you've got 20 or 30 guys that are risking everything to hear about how they can know Jesus Christ and come in contact with a living God. It's a price that they were paying. And as we did this, God began to open up incredible doors. When the Iron Curtain came down, God began to give us all sorts of opportunities with universities, and as Doug was saying, a scientific community and, and so forth. And we would go in with a a group of professionals, whatever their professional expertise was. Here's the professional agenda that they'll talk about. But I said, if we come and we talk about this, I want an hour to talk about who is Jesus Christ. They'd say, uh, we're atheists, we're not interested in that. I said, you don't get this unless I get this. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> and so God just began to open all sorts of doors in regards to that. And all of a sudden, as we're standing there, and we get to the gospel, we share the gospel, yeah, we got people coming to Christ. I said, oh my gosh, we, we got people coming to Christ here. There are no churches. I said, oh gosh, we got to start churches. Well, we start churches, 
We got to start training people uh, how to lead churches and start churches. This was, you know, total repression of the church before the Iron Curtain came down. And it was out of that that God really began to gleam a strategy as we begin to train guys, as we begin to start churches, as we begin to do these things. God began to lay on my heart, you know, uh, we can do this all over the world. And we're in restricted access countries now that you just think of all the closed countries to the Gospels, the big ones and the small ones. And we're carrying out the strategy still today in regards to it. And I'm telling you, the Gospel is exploding globally. The Gospel is retreating in this country. And it's retreating because there's an epidemic of silence with people like me going public the way God would have us to go public in our identity with Jesus Christ. I don't, <laughs> you guys are in the market. Your calling is high and holy, but you are on mission where God has planted you. And God is, as the Apostle Paul says, he says, I beg you. I beg you. I beg you. Look to Christ. I'm over, right? Okay. Uh, I hope a couple of things uh, that I'll share next time uh, if I were in your shoes and I heard a guy talk like this I'd say I'd be filled with all sorts of ants. But this room is filled with guys. You wouldn't be here unless you were in love with Jesus Christ. And wherever you are, and whatever your activity is, your own mission with the world that God has put around you. And the living God delights to use broken men like ourselves who've experienced the reality of Jesus Christ in the marketplace, in the home life, in the athletic world, in the whatever world God may have you to show you that the love of Christ is sufficient. And the message of the redeeming love of Jesus Christ is to be our passion. A uh, little bit of my story. Uh, Doug, you want to uh, close us out for the day uh, here? <laughs> no, with, uh, we're going to take a break. Though. Okay, uh, good. Take a break. Thank you, John. Okay. Thanks. Um, real, real quick before we go to break. Um, 
in your packet, you got this guy wrote a book about John. John did not write this. It was a guy that works with Tim Keller out of New York, wrote this book called All In. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The life, message, and legacy of John Maisel. It's about John's life. And uh, I think you'll be very encouraged to read it at what God can do when He takes somebody who's willing to say yes. Because the legacy that God has used him for, there's a lot of people all over Russia that love Jesus today because of the ministry of this guy. So, also, Is Jesus God? It's a lecture John gave at Moscow State University where there were hundreds, hundreds of atheists and hundreds and hundreds of atheists repented and trusted Christ. And somebody had the forethought to tape it and they put it into a booklet called Is Jesus God? That's in your, uh, your thing as well. One other thing that's in your uh, packet is an index card. I want everybody to take the index cards out real quick. There's a white index card in there. Sometime before the end of the next session, you're going to go on break here for 10 minutes. You're going to be back at 9.20. And uh, before the next session is over, take that index card and write on it any question that you, want to, you would like to have answered about your greatest struggle to walk the Christian life out in your life, the practical reality of what what is your greatest struggle to really walk out the Christian life? What is it? What's that barrier that Satan keeps throwing in your life that keeps snagging you, keeping you from really following after Jesus? Write that on that. I'm going to collect those at the end. Don't put your name on it because I don't want to know your dirt. I just want to know what's what the struggle is. We're going to look at that. And we're going to talk about that tonight um, at, at the meeting. So um, the different activities, uh, if you did not get your activity sheet, there's an activity sheet over here that has where you're meeting for the golfers. Uh, it has Brad Sykes as the point of contact. It's not Brad, it's going to be Ronnie McKinnon. Ronnie is going to be, and I'll have his cell phone for you at the end of the next session. But uh, uh, say it, uh, shooting will be me. All the shooters, raise your hand. All right, we're going to Saltwater Shooting Club, which is out off Big Oak, off of Highway 1. So we've got a great course of fire set up. We're doing three guns. Hey, who brought AR-15s today? Raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five, and me. It's six. Oh, no, you didn't bring on your golfing. All right, so five. Yeah, so, so, yeah. He brought his go bag. All right. Uh, so we, we, we got plenty of, who brought uh, nine millimeters? All right, we're set, Dan. We're good. Uh, shotguns? Yeah, we're good. We, we only need five in each station of, of those. It's going to be a good... Yeah. Hey, this is a SWAT team. What are you talking about? I wanted to bring my 40 cal, but you put on the women's... No. Uh, um, and then um, the skydivers. Where are you at? All right, it's the World Skydiving Center off Normandy here. It's not Palatka. Uh, or Deland, it's the World Skydiving Center off Normandy. Y'all have a 12 o'clock jump time. Okay, uh, guys, we need to gather around them. Fishermen, Jeff, Harry, and, and Gil, raise your hand. These are your two captains. Don St. Dennis is not here yet. I don't know where he's at. 
Uh, I've not heard from Don, but I know he's he, he's taking a group out. Don St. Dennis is the other captain. Their their names and numbers are on those sheets as well. And I think uh, uh, Dick Schwartz, right over here. Dick's leading a sailing group. Uh, guy in the yellow shirt. So y'all get with Dick in the break, and he will tell you where to meet. Uh, any other questions, you can come up to me. All right, Lord, thank you for this time. Just uh, uh, bless the rest of our day. We pray that uh, you would make the weather stay great for us to be able to do what we need to do. And thank you for John. Thank you for sparing him. Thank you, Lord, for that Marine that he got to connect with and that your pursuit of him, Lord, was such an encouragement. Um, and I just continue to pray for him as he grows in Christ. And uh, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, bathrooms are right outside the door to the right and a double right there. Huh? What do you want in the bathroom? 920. 920. Uh, 925. 925. Appreciate it, Jared. Pretty, uh, pretty inspiring. You're going to be talking again after the break? Yeah, I Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. You know, I uh, read a quote one time by Steve Jobs that has no reference point in his own personal life to those words. But he did say something about the way it die. Steve Jobs, CEO, Apple. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important thing I have ever encountered to help make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. End of quote. That was Jobs's philosophy of life. You only go around once. You've got to die. Maximize this life out. You know, when I read that, I thought about Joseph Song. That's a guy that went through a great deal of uh, suffering for the cause of Christ when the Iron Curtain was up in Romania. When the curtain came down, Visited him with him one time, and some guys around me, uh, around him, were telling me that a uh, story about him. 
in which one time he was brought in uh, by the KGB for uh, uh, telling people about Jesus. And they walked over and they put a gun up to his brain. So we're going to kill you if you don't renounce Jesus. Joseph looked at him. I can see him. And he looked up to him and he said, For you, death is the end. For me, death is the beginning. You and I have got a little dinky speck of time in the equation of eternity. People are the only thing that are going to last. People are going to live forever. Uh, none of this, uh, well, I believe I, you're annihilated. People just, you know, you're gone. There's nothing after this. Yes, there is. There's forever, and there's forever, and there's forever, and there's forever. And God has allowed us to come here uh, today, and we're here. You guys got a lot, of, a lot of different options on your table, a lot of things you could be doing today, good things. But you made a choice to come here because you really care about what Jesus wants you to be about with your speck of time on planet Earth. That's why you're here. Nobody forced you to be here. And our takeaways, I think, today, if I was sitting there rather than standing up here, this always happens, is, is just simple that everybody will leave with a nugget of truth. Uh, God will speak to each of you individually with your set of circumstances. But you'll hear him really clear if you come to him with a non-negotiable abandonment to that blank page for him to fill in. Uh, several of you guys have mentioned Tozer uh, here. Uh, a verse that I would kind of say this is our life verse is a group of men who gathered in Florida such and such a time is uh, found in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in the NIV. And Paul uses this. <laughs> this is so great. He had just come out of Philippi and he had showed up being right in the center of God's will. I mean, he just had the snot beat out of him. And you know, he makes that statement uh, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Well, you'll never be able to say to die as gain if you cannot say for me to live as Christ. And over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's, he, he's writing them and he's telling them, <laughs> it's so good, 
he was telling them, it says, you know, when we were in Philippi, we got beat up and uh, we suffered much and such and such. And we came to Thessalonica. And this is a statement. Boy, this is good. He says, we dared to give you the gospel no matter what the opposition might be. You want to know why 2,000 years later we're sitting here talking about the Apostle Paul? We don't know who's the who's who of his day, the kings on the throne, the wealth that was taking their crews to such and such. So we just, this little, little guy that didn't have anything but a passion of going public with Jesus. There's not a person in this room who can be in this race a long time apart from some sort of accountability. Quite frankly, uh, the issue is there's too many Lone Rangers out there. Lone Rangers do good for a while, but I'm talking about the long run the 25, the 30, the 40, the 50 years that some of you have walked uh, with the Lord Jesus. Lone Rangers don't do good. And we men, relationships are tougher for us than they are for the women. Uh, we've got this, this kind of macho, so to speak. Uh, that's just part of a DNA of a man, but uh, no matter where you are or what your process is, uh, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. i got a destiny for you. My greatest fear is that I will waste my life on something other than people. And the reason I want to be engaged with People is because people are all that are going to last. And I have the only message of hope for the world. The church is the hope of the world. Let me say it another way. The church, men like you and I, is the only hope of the world. And to do this, you got to take risk. You got to be willing to get hit. Probably one of the greatest fears that I have struggled with in my life is the fear of failure. You know, I remember when I was, you know, in the competition on the football field. As I'm sitting there as a quarterback, I get my reps, and the guy who's pressing me to uh, kick me out of my position, you know what I'm doing? Oh, man, I hope he throws an interception. <laughs> uh, boy, I hope he fumbles the snap. Uh, I hope he really messes up, so I'll such and such. That's a natural bent in regards to it. Jesus brings a transformation in our relationship with him that involves lasting achievement. 
and lasting achievement are people and the message of the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. And to do this, you got to take risk. The verse in Hebrews 11, where it gives all of these what we call heroes of the faith. The key verse in that chapter is verse 6, in which God makes very clear, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a faithful rewarder of those who trust him. Without faith, it's impossible. What does faith say? Faith says, I don't have all the dots. Whenever God gets ready to ask you to do something, I say, well, okay, what's the plan, Lord? Okay, what's my first step? How do I get first base, second base, third base, around the deal? He said, John, the only thing I'm going to do is give you just enough clarity to get in the batter's box. And then I'm going to, the world's going to throw some things at you, but I'm going to show you how you get out of the batter's box to first base. Yeah, yeah, but third base, you know, I'm coming. I just want to get you on first base. And when you begin to make a decision, all the chips on the table. I don't know where we're going to go, honey. I don't know whether we're going to go up. I don't know where we're going to go down. But we're putting all the chips on the table. And in God's grace, we're going with the book. We're going with the Word of God. We're going to build our life on the rock. Will it cost us? Yeah, it'll cost us. You know what Peter Marshall said? He said, I'd rather fail in that which will ultimately succeed than to succeed in that which will ultimately fail. Isn't that good? And I think one of the things that people like you and I have, remember we're, our, our seminary is the, the marketplace. We're, we're, we're graduates of street seminary. And if it doesn't work out there, why show up on Sunday? We're the models to take the word of God and demonstrate it. There were very few of my clients, as I said, when I was in the real estate business and the oil and gas business with, uh, with the different companies and so forth, that somewhere along the line, we didn't get around to Jesus. Why? I was just, I saw myself just as a self-supporting missionary. You're all on mission. Five o'clock when we want to come in, we're on mission when we walk through the front door. Alarm goes off at 5.30 or 6 in the morning. Oh, my gosh, I've got... I'm on mission. That's your calling. That's high, and that's holy. And you're unique for the people that you're going to rub shoulders with. 
and they're dying all around us. And I've got the message of the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. You know, I think one of the biggest issues that I know that I've struggled with and is this issue of the fear of failure. Uh, you know, if you've really got it all together, you're, quote, a success. Uh, success, you know, we knock it out of the ballpark, make the right deals, make the such and such. Well, there's a risk factor involved. There's hard work that's involved in regards to it. But nobody bats a thousand. And a lot of times I have found when you come to a situation like this and, and you want to step out and you want to step in. And then we get out there and God says, okay, let me test you a little bit. To see whether you really want to stay in this fight for the long run or you just have a nice emotional high and after a week, a month, you know, we're back to the same game plan. That's why I need accountability. Hey, Maisel, how you doing? Hey, guys. You know, I had a disastrous weekend with my wife. I'm not doing real good. How you doing, John? Did you get, you, did you get that deal closed? Oh, man. I've been working on that deal for six months, and we were so dependent upon that. I don't know what happened at the closing. It just went south. Guys got up and walked out. Been in those situations? I've been in those situations. There's only one thing in your life and my life that can build a sense of stability, and that's the rock, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A lot of you guys, and I thought I'd pull this up, are quoting Tozer. You know, we got the book Tozer, somebody, somebody probably that table over there got it. <laughs> In regards to it, let me, let me read a statement by him. He talks about this daring. As I said, okay, let's come up with a verse. We dared to give you the gospel no matter what the opposition might be. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, NIV. Tozer says this, The dynamic periods were those heroic times when God's people stirred themselves to do the Lord's bidding and went out fearlessly to carry his witness to the world. <clears throat> the static periods were those times when the people of God tired of the struggle and sought a life of peace and security. Men, don't you ever kick back and say, I've done my part. Everything up to today has been preparation for what the living God wishes to do in and through you in the future. And all I have is today. I'm not in very good shape physically, and this could be my last day, but is your today occupied with that day? 
when I drop, the next millisecond I'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Today, no matter how we look at the deal, no matter what the problem is, no matter what opposition we might have, how can I live in such a way today that will honor him when I see him on that day because I've made the decision I wish I would have made when I come into his presence? That's what Tozer's talking about here. As long as they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord worked with them, confirming his word. But when they retreated, this, uh, this isn't us, but this was them. <laughs> But when they retreated to the monasteries and played at building pretty cathedrals, the hand of God withdrew from them. In every denomination, missionary society, local church, or individual Christians, this law operates. God works as long as as his people live daringly. He ceases when they no longer need his aid. The passage of, uh, in Hebrews 11, gives us those heroes of the faith. <clears throat> One of the biggest issues, I think, as we think about our heroes, my first knee jerk is, golly, I, you know, man, I can never do that. <clears throat> God's not looking for perfection because you're going to get hit. And when you get out of the stadium, and you come down on the playing field, and you want to move the ball forward, you're going to get hit. You're going to take some shots. And on the front end, I think it was very helpful to me to think about, you know, uh, both of my partners in the uh, real estate business and the oil and gas business, both of them were believers, and we were just, we, we were in this together. Matter of fact, my partner, I sort of encourage you, in spite of myself, uh, in, the, uh, in the real estate uh, business. He's got MS now. My other partner in the oil and gas, but he just dropped dead five day, uh, two weeks ago. I got off the phone with him about five, Lord, don't let me go on a rabbit trail. <laughs> I got off the phone with him uh, about five days before it. And... Uh, I kind of hung up and just laughed. I said, Lord, that guy's going to live to be 100 years old. Dropped dead five days later. Best physical, much better physical shape than I. And probably most of it, I mean, thin, I mean, full of energy and vigor. Such and such, going to go on a two-week trail ride. Reached over to pick up the bridle, and he dropped dead. My times are in his hands. And all I've got is today. And one of the biggest issues for men like you and I who sit under good teaching, who've been exposed to things, is what I call postponed obedience. 
Oh, man, wasn't that great today, honey? Man, I've got to get that. <clears throat> i got to step out and step into that. Hey, honey, did you ever follow through on that thing we talked about last weekend? I, you, 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 boy, I just had some stuff come up, and man, I had, to, I had to take care of. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna. Thanks for holding me accountable, honey. Month later, hey John, you were telling me, you, oh god, man, I'm gonna yeah, put that on my to-do list. All I got today for that day. It's the only two days in the Bible. You know, one of the things that caused me a lot of, uh, how am I on time? How much more time? Uh, 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, $50 for 12. <laughs> okay, $100 for 12. <laughs> One of the things that uh, encourages me about Hebrews chapter 11 is these guys didn't have it all together. It's just, they're just like you and I. They fought the same battles that we fought. But you know what we have? We've got more revelation today than most of them had back in those days. Look at this. Let me just mention a few. Verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. By faith Noah, being warned by God, he built an ark. Now, it had never rained on planet Earth when God said, hey, I'm getting ready for judgment. Why don't you go build a boat? A boat? What's a boat? I've, 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 I've never heard of a boat. Noah, just go chop down a tree. And his obedience, that's all he could do is go down, chop a tree. And then God began to tell him. You come down here by faith. Noah, when he got off, what happens? You know what Noah did? Noah got drunk, didn't he? Got drunk and his daughters... Well, let's seduce Daddy. Noah? The only one left? By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was to receive, not knowing where he was going. But Abraham... Abraham, man, he's, he's the man of faith. Yeah, remember, Abraham is when the king confronted him and his wife, Sarah, was really a good looker. He said, oh, you like my wife? over oh, there? Take, take her, king. God had to intervene. Abraham, he's, he's our model. You come down here and you, and you, and you, and you see these, these statements, Isaac... Jacob, Joseph, Moses, woo. Moses knocked it out. He was a murderer. You come on down here and Gideon. 
Samson, oh, Samson had a little trouble with the women, didn't he? They were not perfect people. But they came to a point where they said, all the chips on the table. I'm going over to God. If he takes us up, it's okay. If he takes us down, I'm not going to, well, I tried to trust God and look what happened to me. I'm going down. Because whether I go up the bell curve or I'm coming down the bell curve, the safest place in the world for you to be is the center of God's will. That's the question. How is daddy doing in his walk with the Lord? You know who my favorite person in this is? I bet you never could guess. You know, you go through these, all these by faith, they such and such, and a lot of people miss verse 36. There are some of you guys here that God will give unique platforms to. Most of us are like verse 36 when we make faith decisions. Listen to this one. I've never heard anybody preach on that. I've heard them preach on all the names I've just mentioned to you. Listen to this. By faith, others experience mockings, scourges, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned. They were salted too. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskin, not any Gucci, goatskin. They were destitute, afflicted. Who in the world were they? They were men who trusted God. And why God takes one of us this way and the other one this way is known only to the heart of God. How many Christians do you know that, well, all the chips are on the table and we start off and the plan doesn't work out the way we thought and of going this way? God said, like a Moses, I'm sending you to the desert for 40 years. It says, by faith, Moses made the most strategic decision in his life. And God doesn't speak to him for 40 years. But he said, it's okay. I'm where he wants me, and he will speak when he is ready to speak. You know who my favorite character, uh, five minutes, my favorite character is? I bet y'all you I never could guess. Give, give me some shots here. Enoch. Huh? Enoch. Job, Elijah, Peter, Jesus, David. <coughs> <laughs> Who? Jonah, Joseph, Jesus, and Judah, Samson, Jacob. You'd never guess. Here it is. Shut up. Look, I, now I've only got four minutes. You guys are. Come out with all these wrong. You know what my favorite question, uh, person is? I might need 30 minutes if I get off on her. Rahab the harlot. Thank you. 
<laughs> Gil wins the prize. He said it. Did you say it? Blessing, brother. Rahab the harlot. Why? Why? Here's this prostitute down in Jericho that hears about some Bedouin people that are kind of being led out in the middle of the desert by a God they call Yahweh. And here's this prostitute back over there in Jericho has something dinged in her heart said, that's got to be the truth, the living God. So what happens? You know the story. Spies come. Scout out Jericho. People in Jericho finds out, hey, there's some spies out here. We, we, we got to find them. They come to Rahab's house and she makes the most important decision in her life with this much information. And she hid those spies. This much information and this sort of risk. You know what my problem is? I got this much information, but I only take about this sort of risk for Jesus' sake and the sake of the gospel. He seems to be saying somewhere along the line, Maisel, if you want to follow me, listen to my words, lose your life for my name's sake and the sake of the gospel. That's the purpose of our existence. You know, they, uh, they pay a 300 hitter, about 10 million a year. <laughs> There's not a perfect person in this room. We've got good brothers and sisters that we're following. The Apostle Paul knocked it out of the ballpark. He stoned Christians. He locked Christians up. He hated Christians. And then he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. I'm telling you, men, don't waste your life. All I got is today. Today for that day. It's a call upon our life 
there is a Jesus in you that all he asks you to do is to trust him. And when things go well, you say thank you. And when you're trusting him and you're moving forward and the bottom drops out, you laugh the laugh of faith and you say thank you, Father. Because the promise that you and I have is in accordance with his agenda. And the promise is it all works together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Most of us in this room know that verse in Romans 8. All things work together for the good. What's his purpose? God's got one purpose. That you may be transformed into the likeness and the image of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. That's the mission that I'm on. How he wishes to use me, that's his call. If he sends me to the desert, that's his call. If he puts me on a platform or makes you the king of a nation, like he did with David, that's your platform. The issues, men, are huge for our day and our time. The issues are huge. The world is changing with exponential speed because the church has gone silent. I pray as <laughs> men that I don't really know. You don't really know me. I know the Jesus in you, and you know the Jesus in me. I beg you. All the chips on the table. There'll be no regret. There'll be no regret. Father, uh, thank you for my brothers. Thank you for... Uh, just the joy of lifting your son up. You know, we're, uh, we're here uh, because we want to be world changers. Every one of us has a little bitty world. Every one of us in our little bitty world have today for, I pray that you would give us the magnificence of understanding what that day is. Oh, boy, when we see you face to face, Lord Jesus. And I can whisper to the Father, thank you for your grace that allowed me to live the way I wished I would have lived my time on earth. Pray you bless these men. I pray that you would initiate in each one of our hearts a love affair with you, Lord Jesus. And you, by means 
of your Holy Spirit would give us an understanding of what perfect love, perfect love. I've never loved anybody perfectly, Father, but you've loved me perfectly. Thank you for the law that you must seek my highest good with the love that you love me with. Bless these guys. Send them out. Send us out. Let us understand the mundane is just as important as the spectacular. And I pray that whether we're men of two talents or 20 talents, just say, wherever I am, I want to be filled with you. You have permission to do whatever is necessary to make me the man you want me to be, that I and my household will serve the Lord. We love you, Father. Thank you for the great salvation that cost you greatly, but was free to us. And I pray these things in our King's name. Amen. You know what will be good next time if we ever do this? Uh, I've been working on my notes for 